Thank you for having us. Uh, real quick, just to intro kind of where we're getting ready to go. This is uh, a little video. It's like two minutes. Uh, just kind of highlight the our direction and where the Lord's led us here. Welcome to University of Colorado. <laughs> In 30 seconds, how would you describe your spiritual or religious journey? My religious journey? Um, I don't know. Well, I was raised a Christian, but then um, I became an agnostic because I didn't, I didn't like my parents' religion because I thought it was dumb. Because sure. yeah. I honestly don't really have. I, my family's never really focused on religion. Uh, non-existent. I feel like. Well, personally, I feel like I've had many spiritual awakenings, but. Um, nothing to do with any specific religion. Non-existent. I started out as basically atheistic. My parents didn't believe in any sort of religion. And I would say I'm still loosely spiritual, if anything, but I practice a lot of yoga and meditate a lot now. Sure. If the God of the Bible describes himself as a rescuer, what would he rescue you from? Um, I don't think he'd rescue me anything out of I can't get myself out of, if that makes sense. Everything. Myself, probably my own conflicts within me. Anything that's driving me in two different directions, you guide me in one way or the other. Bad decisions. <laughs> the pain, I guess. He would rescue me from the turmoil of this pointless, random void, and this abyss that we're all floating through. Yeah, so that's a, a short, very, you, you can see that it doesn't take long. Looks like all that was shot on the same day. It doesn't take long to get statements like that. Uh, I just love that. I don't love it as a good thing, but uh, love that guy's last quote. He would rescue me from the turmoil of this pointless, random void in this abyss that we're floating through. And you just kind of hear the no direction whatsoever. And that's part of why we love college ministry. I mean, we started to get unplugged with Campus Crusade and we were students at Mizzou. And it wasn't long after that where it was very quickly we felt the Lord calling us into college ministry. And part of that is just the strategy at which that is a part of and tied into that is reaching college students where, I mean, there's people outside these walls out in North County that are in these, have these same type of thoughts, no doubt. And in some ways, it's very much heightened uh, in college. You're transitioning into this new period in your life. You're away from your parents. You're 
creating a whole new community for yourself. And spiritually speaking, uh, it is statistically one of the most important times in somebody's life where you're determining, trying to figure out the answers like these people here. And for us, that is no doubt, hands down, one of the most joyful things that Jamie and I can do because we love it. We love engaging with people like that. That's just an afternoon walking around asking some spiritual questions where you can get these these type of really, I mean, you can just feel the sadness in some of these people uh, in, in statements like that. And so it is something that uh, I, I remember, uh, Rick was my youth pastor back in the day at First Baptist Ferguson, and I remember, and Jeff, you might remember this too, but I remember getting lined up kind of in front of the congregation and Rick being our youth pastor saying, statistically, only however many of you, I don't know how many of us were up there, but uh, right now the stat is 80% of those who grew up in the faith will leave the faith in college in those years. And so I remember thinking, ah, oh, that's no big deal. Right? We'll be good. I mean, me and Jeff are in the same room now, but there's no doubt that there are friends of ours that are very far from from coming into a church like this this morning. And so that is a great desire for us as ministers of the gospel at University of Missouri-Columbia to engage in those people that, yeah, did grow up in the faith. We want them to get plugged in into a life-changing community that we experience at Mizzou. But at the same time, we want to reach those with the gospel, like people that are on this video. Like that first girl, she did. I grew up Christian. My parents are Christian, but I'm agnostic now. Or this guy who... It's very apparent that it seems like he has no foundation whatsoever, not even an inkling of an idea on what the truth can be. And that's part of what we want as as a ministry. We want to be leading and creating future leaders of the gospel that a college campus and through that ministry henceforth will be sending people all over the world. And we're not asking people, hey, that means join staff with Campus Crusade. Hey, that means... Go start a church and be a pastor. It means, in a lot of ways, you're going to follow your career, and you're going to be a minister of the gospel, and we want you to be more impassioned and driven about the gospel leaving your university than ever when you were when you were coming in. And so, um, real quick, I think Jamie's going to share just a little bit about kind of day-to-day, kind of what, we, what it looks like. Yeah, basically kind of what college ministry for Campus Crusade and specifically at the University of Missouri and at the University of Colorado looks like is we engage with students. Traditionally, Campus Crusade is very evangelistic in the aspect that we want students to have the opportunity to hear the gospel and we want them to understand how to communicate that to other people. So what that can look like is... We meet with students almost all day, every afternoon, maybe one-on-one, maybe in groups, maybe in small groups in dorms, and we work with them to engage them in spiritual conversations to see where they are spiritually on their journey and then help them take the next step in their faith. So for some college students, that is explaining the gospel, specifically at the University of Missouri. Most students, even if they would say that they grew up in a Christian home, don't understand what the gospel is. And if they do understand it, they don't have any idea of what that looks like for their life, what that actually means as a response to their life. And so sometimes it's as simple as explaining the foundations of the Christian faith and helping them for the first time as they're in that age start to make their faith their own. And when I think about the statistic of 80%, that's kind of what I think about. I think most students lose their faith for the sheer sake that nobody is there to help them transition from what does this look like to follow Christ as an adult and what does this look like for my life in this stage when 
I don't have my parents, when I don't have the structure of a youth group, when I don't have the community that I've grown up in. And now I'm on my own. I'm making my own decisions. I'm getting new friends on top of just the insecurities that come out of that age from 18 to 23. And you're starting to question your sexuality, your identity, all of that. And you're trying to put where does God fit in this? And when you can have somebody come alongside of you that can help to explain how does the gospel fit into these questions? How does the gospel fit into these things that I'm trying to figure out about myself? They start to make their faith their own and they start to become mature Christians. And sometimes they do come into college knowing Christ and walking with them. And so for those students, it's seeing where they're at on their spiritual journey and how do we help them become ministers of the gospel? How do we help them in this time period when their life's starting to become busy, learn what it looks like to live a life that's continually sharing the gospel to people naturally in relationship and conversation so that when they do graduate, a great missionary force from the campus is being sent out into the workforce, into the neighborhoods, into the churches, and into families so that lives are being transformed. And so when I say that, we're pretty evangelistic. I mean that we're very adamant on seeing students understand what it looks like to live the gospel day to day and how to communicate that to people that they're around. Because even when I look at churches today, we visit a lot of churches sharing our ministry and we meet with a lot of adult classes. And even when I see 40 and 50 year olds, most of them don't have an idea of what it looks like to live the gospel out in their workplace and in their non-Christian relationships. And they don't know what it looks like to ask people spiritual conversations or just to care about people and have a loving conversation with somebody, specifically because nobody's ever been there to show them and model what that could look like. And so when we have our college students for four years, we really try to take that investment in helping them see the, for, the difference that they can make when they graduate if they just learn how to apply the gospel to their life every day and engage, engage where people are at spiritually and just help them take the next step in their walk. Yeah, so... Uh tagging off that. Right now, we're kind of in a position where, uh, as you guys, a lot of you know, I mean, we moved back here in March, and uh, I cannot, we can't really put in the words how much North Church has been such an incredible blessing in our live, lives uh, while we've been here. And so right now, I, I know Rick was kind of asking me, you know, what are some ways that, what, what's the partnership here with us and North Church and things like that? And part of it is, uh, we're excited to be essentially sent from North Church. I mean, we envision ourselves as kind of being uh, an arm, a small arm, uh, of what North Church is doing here and will become uh, while, we, while we move away. And we are excited to continue to, of course, be uh, plugged in here, whatever that looks like, at a long-distance relationship. Uh, and so we would love for North Church uh, even as well. I mean, he said, what are, what are some of your guys' needs? And Rick was right. He said up here, we need people praying for our ministry. We have uh, some sheets kind of like a little mini bio, a little descriptor of uh, what Boulder's like and things like that and the needs that we have right now. So again, we need people praying for us, what's going on. Uh, The ministry that's out there right now is in great need uh, of not only manpower, but just the Lord's moving. And so we're praying, asking for people to pray for that, as well as uh, one of our great needs right now too is financial support. We Everything, the way it works with Campus Crusade is every individual from us to president of the organization raises their own personal funds for ministry. So that is always a need, as well as getting in touch with other people uh, that would like to hear about our ministry. So that continues to be a need as well. But I just think uh, Dave was sharing that he's speaking on hope this morning, and it made me think of First Peter, just a little transition, I guess, if you'd like. 
First uh, Peter one uh, thirteen. It says, "Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ." And I think about that hope. That I mean, for us, that's the hope of Jesus's return is our drive and our ministry. I mean, it's the drive and everything that we're doing, uh, missionally speaking, because we understand that there is going to be a time where the Lord is going to return, and we right now are trying to live as missionally as possible uh, and bringing people in touch with the gospel that more people can walk from death to life. And we see that, and, and we want our minds to be surrounded by that. Like it says, uh, preparing your minds for action. And I remember at the bottom it says, uh, girding up the loins of your mind. A very colorful imagery that Paul uses there. But it was when everybody was wearing robes uh, at that time, and if a man wanted to run, he'd have to gird up his, his robing in order to be able to sprint and run. And so we want, it's a great analogy, really. It works real well. But we want to, with full zeal, uh, which obviously the Lord has given us his passion uh, for, these, for this age group, but with zeal, strive in that direction. And so if you guys have any questions, feel free. I mean, we're going to be hanging out uh, later this morning. And if you have a question now, that'd be totally fine. From what I'm told, be totally cool. That wraps it up for us. Well, I hope that um, one of the things that becomes clear over these next uh, four weeks um, is that uh, as a church, one of, our, one of the most important things we can do is, is equip and empower the body of Christ to go, um, and it looks different in every context. Um, like they were saying, for some, it's in your workplace. Um, you know, some people, you're just going to go to uh, you know, wherever you work, and that's where you're going to engage people with the gospel. Um, some of you are, are never going to be called to full-time vocational. Um, we're going to work for this ministry. We're going to raise support, so to speak. You're going to be a minister of the gospel in your context. And so part of the goal of this, what we're doing throughout this Advent se- series um, is to, to show you, like Ryan and Jamie this morning, that um, here's folks that they've been greatly called by God um, in the same way that you have. They're just showing you how it looks for them. Um, I grew up in a church that seemed to always have this hierarchy of missionaries. And like, well, we're bringing in this person from like Russia. And like, oh, they're here and they're dressed weird. And like, wow, can I talk to them? You know, like, as if that's a more prestigious and more like admirable thing than like, man, I'm just sharing the gospel at Subway um, and using, you know, stupid analogies like, you know, tomato. No, not really. But um, you see what I'm saying. And so that's, that's the point. Um, you know, a lot of you know them really well. And maybe you've never really engaged them and talked to them about what they're doing, why they're doing it. Um, do that. Uh, find a way to partner with them. Grab one of those sheets. Um, they're doing great things, and I'm really excited that they've been here the past several months, and uh, it's going to stink to send them off. Uh, it's going to be bittersweet to send them off. 
Um, but I love that their mentality is we're being sent by North Church. Um, that's really cool. Uh, let me pray, and then uh, I'll transition a little bit. Father, I thank you for Ryan and Jamie. I thank you for what you've called them to. Um, God, I pray for your power to move in their ministry. God, that we might be a massive encouragement to them. Um, God, uh, thanks for the hope that you bring to us. And uh, God, uh, you're good. And we pray that, that we would see that, that we would be challenged by the words that uh, Ryan and Jamie shared with us. The need, not just in Boulder, but in all over the place. And uh, God, that you would change our minds to see that we're missionaries in our culture everywhere. Um, I pray in Christ's name, amen. I'm going to, uh, we're going to talk about hope for a few minutes, and, and I was, I was talking, I was talking with Travis last night, and I was sharing, I was kind of telling him the format of the service, and um, I told him, yeah, then Ryan and Jamie are going to talk, and then I'm going to get up, and I'm going to talk for like tw- 20, 25 minutes, and his next words were, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I thought that was pretty funny, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, so how many of you uh, joined in on the craziness of Friday? Some of you are like, I don't know if I should raise my hand, like, I feel ashamed, whatever, no. Anybody, like, you know, start at, like, you can start at, I think there were, like, time slots, like a midnight time slot, 3 a.m., 5 a.m. Well, uh, I was at Best Buy at about 5.15, um, and uh, I went for a little bit different purpose than probably most people. Um, my, my only goal was to observe. Now, I know that's nuts to wake up that early and just kind of watch what was going on. But I got to Best Buy at 5.15 Friday morning um, just to watch people's reactions, watch people's faces. I wanted to hear people's voices. I wanted to kind of engage myself in the atmosphere of Black Friday just to kind of see what was going on. Um, and uh, and I, I very much did. Uh, I was amazing. I saw so many people that I knew. It was kind of weird. Like, hey, what are you doing up so early? Um, and so, you know, you guys, you guys know the scene, and you've been involved in the scene, and you've, uh, you understand the way our culture has made this day so crazy. Um, like, for example, uh, one guy got in line at Best Buy on Wednesday, from what I've, told, what I've been told. Um, I ran into one of my former students who was in the ticket line, and he looked, like, exhausted. But he was standing in line to get his $800 laptop for $400. He had been there since 10.30 the previous night. Okay. Um, I I, I talked with folks that I knew, uh, you know, the the crazy deals that were going on. But here's what I noticed. If I had to kind of try to sum up what I saw... People had ads in their hands, and they were like eagerly looking around, like talking to one another. Hey, you know, what do you think of this, and what do you think of this? And asking questions, like going up to the workers in, uh, I went to a couple different stores, um, going up to the workers, hey, do you still have this? And and I saw some reaction when when they were like, oh, no, we're all sold out of that. And what I noticed was, think about it. You go, and for those of you that went, you, you understand this, you go with the hope 
that you're going to get a really good deal, but you're, you don't really know for sure if it's going to happen, right? I mean, unless you get in line on Wednesday and hope some guy doesn't like line jump you like, you know, two minutes before they open the doors and you lose out on that big screen TV or whatever, but you go for the hope that, that you're going to cash in, but you don't, you don't know if you will. You know, it's like, oh, do you have any more of this? These left? Oh, no, they just took the last one. And I, and I saw, I saw that reaction a decent amount that morning of hope, we're hoping, we're hoping, we're hoping, ah, maybe next year. Or those, maybe some of you went, you're like, ah, you know, we'll go like seven or eight, it'll be good, and like everything was gone. Yeah, there was like traffic on the way to uh, the stores at like five o'clock in the morning. Um, here, here's the point. Um, that, that I want us to begin to see this morning. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting up in the morning and going to Best Buy, it's kind of weird, at like 5 o'clock in the morning to get a good deal on something. Okay, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with wanting to be wise with your money and save money. Um, and so my goal isn't to, to do that necessarily, but what I, what I want us to think about is, is this religion of American consumerism. Okay, the hopelessness of American consumerism. Listen to this quote. Um, There's this movement out uh, called the Advent Conspiracy, and these guys said this, it is now clear that the primary threat to true Christianity in America is consumerism, not liberalism, fundamentalism, Darwinism, secularism, or any other ism that happens to achieve some level of influence and power. Why? Why is it that consumerism would trump all of these things. Listen to this. Because there will always be a finer wine, a better television, a faster computer, and so the race goes on until the day we find ourselves surrounded by the latest and the greatest of everything, yet feeling more and more unhappy than ever before. Here's the crazy thing. Consumerism demands that we be dissatisfied. Think about this, okay? And I'm not knocking you if you did this, but for all the folks that went and bought an iPhone 4, it wasn't because all of a sudden the 3GS wasn't cutting it. It wasn't because all of a sudden the 3GS just wasn't doing what it needed to do. It was because the the culture, the market, created this... Something that we, we really don't need. It's nice. Okay? So it, it created a dissatisfaction. E- even in my own mind, I was hanging out with Vince uh, this weekend, and he has an iPhone 4. Sorry, Vince. And, uh, and like, they were sitting on the table next to him, and I'm just like, man, that 4 looks so much cooler than the 3GS. And in my mind, I'm like, man, I wonder if I could get one. Like, but it's just, it's just it's nonsense. It's, it's absolute nonsense. It's, it's as if the salesman... Um, would one day say, uh, hey, I got great news. This is the last iPhone you will ever have to buy. No, we, we know that. Think about how much money you just spent on the, on the, the last latest and greatest. Think about where that, that will be in two years. Be giving it to your kid to play with and draw on and color on. But here's another thing that blew me away that morning when I was out and about. I went to four different stores. I walked out of three of them with nothing in my hand, and I got the funniest looks 
that I had nothing in my hand, okay? Um, consumerism is exhausting. Okay, and I don't just say that because people were up at crazy hours of the morning, but, but literally I saw people working so hard to beat people to things, working so hard to, to get what they were hoping they could have. And what was crazy is I saw people with carts full of stuff, and the look on their face was just like, <sighs> they were exhausted. And the truth is, is that that pursuit the reason why it's so exhausting is because it, it never produces hope in, in, in the sense of something that will promise and fulfill. You following that? Okay, when I was in college, I had a Jeep. And that Jeep began to define me. I'm like, 20-year-old man driving a four-wheel drive Jeep. You know, I'd look out the window at it, I thought I was the coolest, like, what was intended really, you know, to be a means of transportation, and, you know, it becomes an identity, okay, and so that identity, you know the way the Lord crushed me in that identity, is here I am, you know, I'm in this four-wheel drive Jeep, like, I'm invincible, until I ran into a tree, and the Lord was like, yeah, just so you know, you're not so invincible, and that thing never ran the same. Don't run your vehicle into a tree. It's not, it's not a good thing. So as we think towards Advent, which means the coming, the coming of Christ, as we think towards this season of Christmas, I believe that the way that we guard ourselves and we truly see, how do we handle this as Christians? Because if we, if we just do what culture does, we better be careful. How, how do we handle this as Christians? I want to look at the life of Christ, who, who we talked about. He's the, the greatest missionary in our model. I want you to turn to John 4. Turn to John chapter 4. Let me give, give you a little bit of background. The, the story of John 4, Jesus is traveling um, from Judea to Galilee, Okay, and he goes through Samaria, and if you're familiar with this, this culture and this context, Jews never associated with Samaritans. Okay, Samaritans were seen as outcasts, as filthy, okay, so Jews never did, wanted to do anything that had anything to do with the Samaritan. Okay, Jesus goes through Samaria, everyone else would have gone around the city, he goes through Samaria to engage a woman at a well who's an outcast and in much need of of redemption. And so he goes through this city with the purpose of reaching out to her. Okay, he's with the disciples, and in verse 31, he has a little interaction with those disciples. This is pretty much in the midst of his ministry and conversation with this Samaritan woman. Meanwhile, verse 31, meanwhile the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? So they're like, this brother's holding out on us. Like we, we've been traveling and ministering and we're starving. And we go to Jesus and we're like, you need to eat. And he's like, ah, I got food. You don't know. Like he's like, you hoarding food that we don't know about? Continue on. 34, and Jesus said to them, 
My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored. And you have entered into their labor. Here's the mission statement of Jesus. It's verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Now think about that. Think about how eager and desperate we are for for something like food. Now now, now by food, what he's saying is my, my sustenance, my drive, the thing that keeps me going. I mean, if you just stopped eating... Eventually, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Okay? So he's saying, my lifeline. Like right now, I'm in the moment of ministering to this woman. And they're like, hey, you know, grab some food. He's like, no, you don't get it. I'm good. The, the thing that sustains me is what my father has called me to. That's what, that's what I want to be about. And so here's what Jesus is saying. I, don't distract me by that. I don't want to be distracted by something that is inherently good. Food is good. Okay? But that can become an idol. It can become a means of sufficiency. It can become a means of life. God never intended it for it to be. And so what does he do? He goes against the cultural norms to engage this woman He pushes aside his own needs. He pushes aside his own reputation. Why? Because he was on a mission. His father had sent him out. Look at all these passages. We won't read any of them. You can go look at them later. I think they're printed in your bulletin. Okay? That Jesus got his mission from the father. Read read the gospel of John. It's all over it. Okay, so when Jesus is living his life, what is he doing? Everything he does is because his father has engaged him and led him to do so. So everything is intentional. Everything has purpose. Okay, how hopeless would this be? Here Jesus finds out about this woman and then he just, oh, because the culture says this is what we're supposed to do or because the culture says this is what we're not supposed to do, we better back away. And so I'm just going to leave this woman in her sin. I'm just going to leave her hopeless because culture says I shouldn't engage her. That'd be just weird. No, what did he do? He, he, he ran from that and he knew I don't get my directive from culture. I get my directive from the Father. It's the difference between having eyes that, that see the temporal and having eyes that see the eternal right? We can live in this world and we have to be so careful not to focus on the temporal, okay? There's nothing inherently wrong, like I said, with going out on Black Friday and getting a good deal. I love to see one of my former students getting a laptop for $400 off. Now, I don't know if he had $400 or if like mama's, you know, helping him out or, or what. But everyone else I talked to was like, we're getting a plasma TV and no, that can be fine. It can. Okay, but how incredible is it 
that what we see in the life and ministry of Jesus right here is his eyes are focused. Okay? Did he eat? Absolutely. Yeah, he ate. But he never let what can become an idol and can become a god and what can drive you, the temporary things of this world, to drive him. He had a mission. And this, this idea of Advent is the coming of Christ. It, it ushers us in to see that, that hope is there, but not this, I really wonder if this will happen. I hope that I will get this deal. But no, what? A confident expectation that everything I have, everything I need is met in the person of Jesus Christ. Period. I don't care where you're at. I don't care what kind of, what kind of degree you have. I don't, any of that stuff. Our hope is in Christ. And that's not like I, I hope he'll come through for me. But our hope is in Christ. And so what this does is it enlists us to the mission. It's the same thing that Ryan and Jamie have been talking about. That they've recognized we're enlisted to the mission. I talked with others of you. You, you talk about the, the way you're engaging your, your, your neighbors, the way you're engaging your coworkers. You're seeing God has enlisted me to a mission. Why? To bring hope to a world that's running after consumerism, that's running after the very things that will kill them. Check this out. Consumerism leads us to believe that Jesus is a commodity to be consumed rather than a king who reigns and calls us to know and live a life of worship to him. So we don't just consume like the goods and services of Jesus. God, give me, give me, give me. But no, he's a king who reigns that invites us into intimate relationship with himself. And here's the the sad thing. So many Christians will miss the weight of the incarnation, God coming in the flesh this Christmas. Because Everything around them will be materialistic. I'm not saying don't give gifts. Hear that. I'm not saying don't buy great gifts. I'm not saying don't ask for great gifts. But here's the thing invite the Lord into that. Do that. When's the last time you prayed about purchasing something? When's the last time you, you sat down and you're like, okay, Lord, I really want this. I know it's a lot of money. Is this wise? Is this what you would have me to do? Because he, here's what that does. Something like food that is inherently good, that God's intent is that it would bubble up into worship and affection for him, it becomes the main thing. And it terminates on itself. And so we, food is good. So it's like, yeah, food's good. We can eat food. There's nothing, you know, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says don't eat, right? But, but think about that. Worship, the, the reality is everything God has given us is a means to point us to Him. There's even a passage in the Bible that talks about these religious folks that read the Scriptures because in them they thought they had life. Jesus is like they're missing it because the scriptures don't bring life. 
I bring life. So that's the challenge for us. How will you worship? How do you worship God? And as we enter into the season of Advent, the, the, the remembrance of, of the coming of Christ and even the future hope, are there people in your life that you're daily thinking about, how can I bring hope to them? I walked into work Wednesday morning. A couple hours after I was there, the, pers- the next person on my sh- with me on, on my shift comes in. She's just like a mess. The girl I've been trying to share Christ with, I've been inviting here. I'm like, what's up? She's like, I think I'm having a miscarriage. I have to go. I'm like, get out of here. Go, go take care of yourself. And I was like, I'm praying for you. Like, the, I, I want her to see hope. Okay? Because I know there was so much joy about this child she was going to have. I, I, I'm not sure. I haven't heard if she had a miscarriage or not. Who, who is in your life that you're seeking to, to bring hope to? Or are you just comfortable? Or am I just comfortable where I'm at? I mean, you ask Ryan and Jamie how badly they would love to stay here. I know they've wrestled with that. How badly they would want to stay right here where it's comfortable, where they're in incredible community, and where they love it. But they're like, no. As badly as we want to, God has a mission for us. And we would be fools not to run after that mission. We'd be fools. Jesus said in John 17, just before he was going to die, talking to his Father, I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He fulfilled the mission that God had for him. And I love what 1 Corinthians says in verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So here's the question. Will this Advent season, will it usher us into seeing reality of eternity and helping others see the reality of eternity and the hope that that brings? Will will we be a part of that? Let's pray. Father, we beg for your presence here. God, our tendency is to run after our own pleasures and our own desires. We live in a culture that is so good at telling us our 3GS stinks and we need a 4. God, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see the work of the enemy. God, free us this Advent season from being materialistic. Free us from being consumeristic. God, lead us to find hope in embracing you and your mission for us. God, we run hard after you. In Christ's name, amen.